Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Saturday, August 5th, and Sunday, August 6th, 2023. Uh, we have a few anniversaries. On August 5th, 1571, the Cypriot city of Famagusta surrendered to the Ottomans, ending a nearly 11-month siege. As the final Venetian-held city on Cyprus, Famagusta's surrender meant the total Ottoman conquest of that island. What was supposed to be a peaceful handover turned violent when the Ottoman commander Lala Mustafa Pasha abruptly had Venetian commander Marco Antonio Bragadin mutilated and taken into custody, ultimately executed a couple of days later, and then unleashed his soldiers on the residents of the city. It's unclear why he did this. He argued that Bragadin had executed his own Ottoman prisoners and murdered a group of Muslim pilgrims, but that it may also be that he was letting out some pent-up frustration that such a small garrison was able to hold off and embarrass his much larger army for such a lengthy siege. The siege prompted the formation of a new Holy League alliance that eventually would defeat the Ottomans at the Battle of Lepanto, the naval battle of Lepanto, though that took place after Famagusta fell. On August 6, 1806, Francis II abdicated and dissolved the Holy Roman Empire as a result of Napoleon's victory at the Battle of Austerlitz and in the War of the Third Coalition. Luckily, he landed on his feet, uh, having already styled himself Francis I of the new Austrian Empire in 1804. Uh, he had a very nice golden parachute to help him out there. So good for him. You know, it's, it's nice. Uh, and on August 6, 1945, the United States dropped the first of two atomic bombs on Japan. This one on Hiroshima. Uh, the full death toll is difficult to assess because of the nature of radioactive fallout. But estimates of over 200,000 are probably uh, somewhere... Uh, at least within the ballpark or along the, the, the right lines. Uh, on to the news in the Middle East, in Syria, uh, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, uh, that group killed at least six Syrian soldiers uh, amid Sunday morning shelling in Latakia province, according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. The previous day, the observatory reported that Russian airstrikes in neighboring Idlib province killed at least three civilians and wounded six others. Speaking of HTS, the group says it had nothing to do with the death of former Islamic State leader Abul Hussein al-Husseini al-Qureshi. That is, of course, not his real name. Uh, IS released a statement on Thursday acknowledging his death. We mentioned this in Thursday's roundup at the hands of HTS fighters in Idlib. An HTS spokesperson denied that claim categorically. This is a quote pointing out probably fairly that had HTS fighters actually done the deed, they would have been the first to announce it themselves. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan announced back in April that his intelligence operatives had killed the IS boss. And if I had to guess here, I would say it was a joint Turkey-HTS operation that HTS has agreed to disclaim for appearances' sake. But that's just me speculating. In Yemen, a bombing in Abyan province on Saturday killed two fighters affiliated with the Separatist Southern Transitional Council. STC fighters retaliated and claimed to have killed at least five of the attackers. There's been no claim of responsibility, but the bombing seems likely to have been an al-Qaeda operation. In Iraq, according to the regional government in Iraqi Kurdistan, the Turkish military killed at least one Kurdistan Workers' Party or PKK military official via drone strike in Iraq's Kirkuk province on Sunday. Another PKK fighter was reportedly wounded. 
In Lebanon, the governments of at least, at least two Arab states, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, are advising any of their citizens who are currently in Lebanon to go somewhere else at their earliest convenience. As far as I know, neither gave a reason for the warning, but there are strong indications that both governments were motivated by the recent violence involving Palestinian factions in Lebanon's Ain al-Hilwa refugee camp. Uh, I believe we mentioned this in Thursday's roundup. I don't think it's worth making too much of that situation yet, but the concern reflected in those advisories may not be misguided. Viewed one way, an outbreak of violence involving Palestinian militants in a Lebanon in which central authority has broken down can start to look like history isn't exactly repeating, but maybe rhyming. So uh, some concern there of, uh, let's say, expansion of that violence. Uh, in Israel-Palestine, Israeli forces killed three Palestinians near the West Bank city of Jenin on Sunday when they opened fire on a car. Israeli officials referred to the vehicle's occupants as, quote, a squad of terrorists on its way to carry out an attack, end quote, and further suggested that the three were members of Hamas. As far as I know, none of these allegations has been corroborated. Uh, on Saturday, meanwhile, a Palestinian said to be from Jenin shot and killed a police officer in the Israeli city of Tel Aviv before being killed by another police officer in turn. The U.S. State Department issues, issued a statement on Saturday condemning the Tel Aviv shooting and also calling Friday's settler mob attack near Ramallah, in which one Palestinian was killed, a terrorist attack, or terror attack, excuse me. As ever, Washington's response won't go beyond rhetoric, but that terminology is not something that the U.S. government uh, usually employs with respect to violence uh, on the Israeli side of the Israel-Palestine conflict. Israeli authorities have arrested two settlers in connection with Friday's attack, but the uh, Israeli military already seems to be laying the groundwork for them to claim that they were acting in self-defense amid a both-sides clash between the settlers and Palestinian civilians. In Iran, analyst Giorgio Cafiero outlines the natural gas dispute that may be throwing a wrench into Saudi-Iranian detente. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs from his piece. In recent weeks, Iranian officials have made statements about a massive offshore gas field in the northwestern Persian Gulf that has long fueled tensions among Iran, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. Effectively addressing these conflicting claims will require regional energy diplomacy and be an important test for the fledgling rapprochement between Tehran and members of the Gulf Cooperation Council, or GCC. GCC states refer to the gas field as Adura, Arabic for the pearl, while our Iranians call it Arash. Uh, discovered 56 years ago when maritime boundaries were not well defined in this body of water, the Dura Arash gas field remains a delicate and controversial issue. On March 21st, 2022, Kuwait's and Saudi Arabia's energy ministers signed an agreement to develop the field in a joint venture between the Kuwait Gulf Oil Company and the Aramco Gulf Operations Company. Under the deal, the two GCC members are to equally divide the production of the field, which is situated in the Kuwaiti-Saudi neutral zone and expected to produce 1 billion standard cubic feet of gas per day. However, the Iranians, who claim a share of the field west of the Persian Gulf island of Harg, which accounts for 40% of the Dura Arash gas field, blasted the Kuwaiti-Saudi deal as illegal. Tehran's position is that any arrangement involving production from the field must include Iran. Uh, Iranian officials have indicated, this is me again, sorry, Iranian officials have indicated that they're prepared to work with the Saudis and Kuwaitis on jointly exploiting the field, but as Giorgio's piece suggests, the Kuwaiti-Saudi view is that the field is entirely within their own waters and the Iranians have no claim on any of it. 
in Asia and Pakistan. Pakistani authorities have once again arrested former prime minister and current opposition leader Imran Khan, picking him up on Saturday after a court convicted him of illegally receiving state gifts and sentenced him to three years in prison. This is the second time this year Khan has been arrested, and as before, supporters of his Pakistan Tehrika and South Party have turned out to protest. Unlike his previous arrests, at least so far, these protests have not led to any violence, either by demonstrators or police. Khan is accused of selling gifts he received as prime minister for profit rather than lodging them with the government. There is some reason to expect this verdict to be overturned, particularly as there are questions about the legitimacy of convicting Khan in what effectively was in absentia. Uh, Khan has long maintained that the legal cases against him are politically motivated to prevent him from becoming prime minister again. His party outperforms Pakistan's current ruling parties in opinion polls. While we're on the subject of elections, Pakistan's next one may be delayed by quite a bit. Law and Justice Minister Azam Nazir Tarar told reporters on Saturday that the new election, which is supposed to be held later this year, will be organized according to the latest Pakistani census. Right now, Pakistan is on track for an election sometime in November. But if the government insists on incorporating the new census findings, a process that includes redistricting, Tarar said that would push the vote back to at least February. Given PTI's popularity, it is not hard to see why the current Pakistani government would want to delay the election as long as possible. But this is not doing much to inspire confidence in the vote's legitimacy. In India, militants killed three Indian soldiers on Friday in southern Kashmir's Kulgam district. Saturday marked the fourth anniversary of the Indian government's decision to strip Kashmir of its legal autonomy, so the violence was not unexpected and there may be more in the offing. In the Philippines, the Philippine military is alleging that a Chinese Coast Guard vessel used its water cannon on Saturday to prevent a Philippine naval supply vessel from bringing food and other basic necessities to a Philippine military unit based at the Second Thomas Shoal in the South China Sea. The shoal is claimed by both countries, and this is not the first time the Chinese Coast Guard has acted to try to impede Philippine resupply. There is no indication of any casualties. In Africa, Niger, nothing especially noteworthy happened in Niger on Sunday. Paradoxically, that itself winds up being noteworthy in that, in that Sunday was the deadline the economic community of West African states had given Niger's junta to restore the country's former civilian government. Suffice to say, the junta doesn't seem to be complying. The bloc's threatened military intervention has thus far failed to materialize, and while that could change at any moment, Al Jazeera is suggesting that ECOWAS has blinked. Member states may be wavering over the possibility of a region-wide conflict, given that the juntas in Burkina Faso and Mali, and possibly Guinea as well, could join any fight on Niger's side. The main impetus for an intervention seems to be emanating from Nigeria, where new President Bola Tinubu has designs on regional hegemony, as well as from the French government, of course, which has uh, neo-colonial or formerly colonial, I don't know how you want to put it, uh, interests in West Africa. But Nigerian security forces are bogged down in myriad domestic security crises, and it is unclear how much support there is for an intervention among other ECOWAS member states. In Niger, the junta has been making some preparations for a potential invasion. It closed the country's airspace on Sunday and made a show of popular support via a rally for its fans in a stadium in Yame. 
How many of those fans were hired for the occasion, if any, is unclear. Uh, it has reportedly asked Wagner Group mercenaries uh, in neighboring Mali for assistance. I'm unclear whether this request refers specifically to assistance in defending against ECOWAS or if it means Niger's new leaders want to procure uh, Wagner's counterinsurgency assistance. I put that in quotes uh, because there's no evidence Wagner has done anything in Mali but commit atrocities and make the insurgency worse uh, over the long haul. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, at least nine people were killed in an overnight militant attack on a village in North Kivu province. It's still not clear who was responsible, but suspicion seems to be running toward the M23 militia. Two of the victims were apparently members of the Hutu Democratic Forces for the Liberation of Rwanda, or FDLR militia, which makes them likely targets for the Tutsi M23. In Europe, in Ukraine, the Russian military launched another overnight barrage, firing some 70 projectiles at targets across Ukraine, according to Ukrainian officials. One strike on the town of Kupiansk in Kharkiv Oblast appears to have resulted in multiple casualties, but I haven't seen any specific figures. The Ukrainians say their air defenses down most of the Russian hardware. The Ukrainian military, meanwhile, reportedly shelled two of the three roads linking Crimea to mainland Ukraine, damaging the Chonhar Bridge with a missile strike. Late Friday, a Ukrainian sea drone damaged a Russian tanker in the Kerch Strait, the second Russian vessel damaged by a Ukrainian drone that day. The tanker was apparently a civilian vessel, uh, so the legality of targeting it is uncertain. Uh, meanwhile, weekend peace talks in the Saudi, of city, Saudi city of Jeddah don't appear to have generated much in the way of momentum toward peace, which is unsurprising given that the Russians weren't invited. They did, however, secure a statement from the Chinese government in support of further such talks, which suggests that Beijing is at least receptive to the general principles behind Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's peace formula. That in itself is a positive development from Ukraine's perspective. Uh, and finally, in the United States, the Financial Times reported on Sunday that U.S. researchers were able to replicate a previous success in the area of fusion power. I'll just read you a brief uh, a couple of paragraphs from the introduction to this piece. U.S. government scientists have achieved net energy gain in a fusion reaction for the second time, a result that is set to fuel optimism that progress is being made toward the dream of limitless zero-carbon power. Physicists have since the 1950s sought to harness the fusion reaction that powers the sun, but until December, no group had been able to produce more energy from the reaction than it consumes, a condition also known as ignition. Researchers at the Federal, uh, Federal Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, who achieved ignition for the first time last year, repeated the breakthrough in an experiment on July 30th that produced a higher energy output than in December, according to three people with knowledge of the preliminary results. The laboratory confirmed that energy gain had been achieved again at its laser facility, adding that analysis of the results was underway. Uh, now, it very much remains to be seen whether this is ever going to turn out to be anything more than a scientific curiosity. Uh, when they say they produced energy gain, for example, that means the reaction is producing more energy than the lasers that are being used to achieve it. But it doesn't mean it's producing more energy than the total amount of energy that's been required to operate the entire apparatus. So they still have a ways to go before this could possibly be a viable source of energy. Uh, and even if it leads to something meaningful, the the realistically uh, the realistic time frame is at least decades away uh, before any of this actually turns out to be something usable. Uh, nevertheless. We end this newsletter on 
downers so often i felt like ending on an up note tonight and so that's what we're doing uh cheers everybody i hope you had a good weekend and uh that's it for us thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter and thanks to those of you who are foreign exchanges subscribers especially paid foreign exchanges subscribers and i know i i haven't done this pitch in a while but if you're not a foreign exchanges subscriber and you're thinking about it please do uh your support is the only way this newsletter can can keep going so uh as ever it is greatly appreciated and if you're on the fence i uh, and, and, but but you're getting some some value out of the newsletter. Please consider uh, making that jump. Until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.